A young man drops his brother off at school and heads to his college classes for the day. Yet he never makes it to campus. He also never arrives home that evening. His parents soon learn that he was last spotted two and a half hours away. Then his car is found, ten hours away. Finally, his body is discovered, almost twenty hours away, and ten years in the future. What on earth happened to Tim Molnar in 1984? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, your favorite podcast about bad things. I'm your humble servant, Brad. I am back from medical leave, going slightly against the advice of my doctors, but I'll give you a full update at the end of this episode. I hope you'll listen because it's kind of a important update that will affect the podcast going forward. But for today, we have just a lovely missing persons turned unsolved murder case or unsolved homicide case or unsolved accident case. It's really nice and illogical, so it's sure to drive some of you folks crazy, which of course is always our goal here. Rather than just telling you how great this episode is, though, how, how about I just get into the story and, and get this get this going, okay? Sounds good? Awesome. Tim Molnar disappeared on January 24th, 1984 from Daytona Beach, Florida. He was a student at the time studying at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. He was wanting to become an aircraft mechanic. The morning of the 24th was like any other typical day in his life. He left early for class, took his 14-year-old brother with him, dropped his younger brother off at school, and that's the last time we know for sure that anyone ever saw Tim alive. He never came home from classes. No one saw him at the school that day. Tim's parents called all the friends that they knew of in the world, but just no one had seen Tim. Worried, they called the police to report their son missing. The next day, Tim's family and friends hit the streets hanging up missing persons flyers all over Daytona particularly hitting the path that would lead to and is from his school the hardest. They also handed out flyers to people as they, they went about their chore, asking if anyone had seen Tim, but no one had. It's like the boy had just disappeared. That night, the family received a phone call that they found strange. When Tim's dad answered the phone, there was nothing but silence on the other end. You know, no static or electronic tone or anything like that, just dead silence. Tim's dad believed that someone was on the other end of this call, but the person was too scared to speak. And there's also some resources that report that a second call later in the evening, but again, with nothing but silence on the opposite end. And then nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing happens in the case. Tim's friends and family did what they could, but, you know, it's 1984. How many options do they have? This wasn't like today where they could check out social media accounts or find out where Tim's cell phone was. That just, that didn't exist. They were relying 
pretty much solely on the police. But the police either weren't doing anything of note or just didn't have enough to go off of. Three weeks after Tim disappeared, something arrived in the mail. A bill. I know it's terrifying, but this is actually a useful bill. If there's ever been such a thing. The bill was for the credit card Tim had. And so Tim's dad opened it up and looked and saw something that surprised him. The last charge on the credit card indicated that Tim had filled up his vehicle with gasoline the day he disappeared. But it wasn't from a local gas station. It was from Lake City, Florida, a town that's about two and a half hours north-northwest of Daytona Beach. So the next day... Of course, Tim's parents make the drive up to Lake City and go to the gas station where Tim had got his gasoline from. And amazingly, the attendant that they talked to is the same attendant who was working the day that Tim got his gas, and she recognized Tim from the picture. Now, she couldn't tell the family very much. I mean, how often do you have an in-depth conversation with somebody you're buying gas from, right? But she did note that Tim was traveling alone, and there was nothing noteworthy about him. Like, he didn't seem nervous. He didn't seem upset. He wasn't in a rush. Just a pretty regular customer. Shortly thereafter, Tim's dad decided, you know, I need to check all of Tim's financial stuff. So he went and checked on his checking account, his savings account, hoping that they could provide a clue. And they kind of did. The day Tim left... He had withdrawn all the money in his savings account, but for $10. The family reported this new information to the police, but again, it didn't really do anything to move the needle in any real way. There was a bit of a debate going around Daytona Beach while Tim was missing. Uh, some people in the community thought he was the victim of foul play. Others thought that he had left Florida to start a new life somewhere. And, you know, Tim's family, after seeing the credit card bill and the bank records, they fell pretty strongly into the camp that Tim had decided to run off for some unknown reason. And it kind of also explained those phone calls in their mind. You know, maybe Tim was calling to say goodbye, but just didn't know how to say it. He couldn't bring the words to actually say it to his dad. Now, why Tim would want to leave nobody really knows. There was no obvious signs of problems or troubles in Tim's life. And so while they believed Tim had left voluntarily, they had no clue why he would leave voluntarily. And this started another dead period in Tim's case. For about four months, nothing happens until something else arrives in the mail that gets the family's attention and gets things moving. It was a notice that their vehicle had been impounded. Well, not their vehicle. It was Tim's vehicle, but it was still registered to their address. And where was the vehicle impounded? In Atlanta, Georgia. That was about six and a half hours north of Lake City or a total of about 10 hours away from home. Of course, as before, Tim's family rushed to Atlanta to view Tim's car they had to see what, if any, clues were left behind, and they found some. Tim's driver's license, his wallet, and his credit card were in the vehicle, as well as other items indicating that Tim may have been trying to change his identity. 
No idea what these were. That's just how it was reported. It's also very important to note that Tim's car had been left in a parking lot in Atlanta for six days after he disappeared. And this parking lot was a block away from a Greyhound bus terminal. I also need to point out the wallet had no cash in it when they found it. Now, of course, the family's shocked. They don't know. I mean, it supports their hypothesis that he's run off to start a new life for some reason. But Tim's friends were shocked over a different aspect. He loved his car. Like, he would not do anything that would harm his car. And so they just simply could not believe that he left it to become impounded in some random parking lot in Atlanta, Georgia. So at this point, the family took another step back and said, okay, hold on. Tim's left his car. He's left a bunch, you know, his ID. He's left his credit card behind. Let's inventory his room and see if we can't figure out if there's anything else that's missing. What would he have taken with them? And after a pretty exhaustive inventory, the family, as best they could tell, determined that Tim had left with only the clothes on his back. There were a few other oddities that were missing that they could identify. His stereo, his bicycle, and his mechanic tools. But that was it. Now, these are three things that don't travel well together, right? A bicycle is really only useful if you're going to ride it. And it seems like it would be impossible to ride it and carry mechanics, a full set of mechanics tools and a 19, early 1980s stereo around with you. So, you know, I mean, like, you know, stereos from the 80s, they were proper stereos. They were large. <laughs> they weren't little boom boxes. Um, and none of these items were found in Tim's car either. Now, not to jump ahead of myself, but these seem like three items that could bring a decent buck at a pawn shop. So maybe they were sold and Tim combined the funds with the savings to help finance this trip. I'm mentioning this now because none of the other articles I read in researching this ever seemed to entertain this idea. And this is where we hit another dead spot. And for all intents and purposes, it seems like Tim's story ends. He remains missing. The family has no clue. The police have no clue. Nobody's seen this kid. Until, until his case was featured on the television program Unsolved Mysteries on November 17, 1995. Well, actually, that's not even true. It's when the episode was rerun on television on, on January 31st, 1996, that we finally get some new evidence. A viewer by the name of Stephen Cole recognized him or at least recognized Tim's clothing that he was wearing the night he disappeared. Because you see, Stephen had found Tim dead in a secluded lot where they kept timber in 1986 in Wisconsin. <laughs> about 1,300 miles from home, that's about 2,800 kilometers. As far as we know, and as from what they say, Tim's family has no connection to Wisconsin whatsoever. 
Tim was not known to have any friends or other connections to people in Wisconsin. Again, pre-social media age, so it's not like he found some chick online and decided to go hook up with her or something like that. I mean, there's just no logical reason in anybody's mind that knows Tim as to why he would be up in Wisconsin. So how on earth did he end up there? All right, well, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about Stephen's discovery a little bit more. So Stephen had stumbled across Tim's body in the dead of winter at this woodlot. Stephen said it looked like Tim was basically a block of ice when he had found him. And of course, naturally, like any normal person would do, he called the police, who showed up and they brought a medical examiner with them. They noted there was no signs of trauma or violence, but there was also no identification on Tim. So they classified him as a Jane, I'm sorry, a John, John Doe and went on with life. And, you know, their kind of thinking at the time was uh, the kid got high or drunk and passed out in the cold and died from hypothermia. But they didn't really go through a formal investigation because there was no evidence of foul play. In fact, from my research, I can't really determine when Tim died. Sometime in the winter of 1986 is as close as I can pin it down. And, you know, that should be easy information to find, right? Well, when the producers of Unsolved Mysteries heard Stephen's story, they immediately rang the alarm and helped coordinate law enforcement and Tim's family and, you know, law enforcement from both Florida and Wisconsin um, to help figure out if this John Doe in Wisconsin was really Tim. At the time, a DNA test was an option, but not routine. And the medical examiner volunteered that the only thing this John Doe really had on him were, was a, uh, some keys. And so, at the suggestion of the producers, Tim's family mailed a copy of their house key to the medical examiner, and it turned out to be a perfect match for one of the keys in Tim's pocket. And DNA would be used eventually and confirm that this was Tim Molnar's body. And that's as far as the story goes officially. But I found some interesting information on Reddit. In October of last year, a poster on the Morbid podcast subreddit claimed that he had a ton of additional information about Tim's case. The poster claimed he was from the same part of Wisconsin as Tim, or at least where Tim was found. And this poster's uncle was very close with a fellow named Richard... J <clears throat> Excuse me. He's got a weird Wisconsin name that I can't get my southern tongue around. Jash, Jashkinski, Jaskin, just, yeah, Mr. J. <laughs> All right. So um, anyway, this poster's parents knew this guy, but said he was a bad dude and never let him come to his house. But Richard would show up randomly on their property, just acting weird. Regardless, you know, of what... Richard was, as far as an oddball or a creep or, or whatever, um, it's noteworthy that he had a pilot's license and owned a small plane 
and he liked to use his plane to fly south during the winter because, you know, it's not a frozen wasteland like Wisconsin is. And his favorite destination to go was parts of Florida. In 2001, well removed from when this would have occurred, but in 2001, Richard would be arrested and convicted of a sexual offense against a child. And apparently word got out. It was one of those, you know, open secrets in the community, but people really learned and found out that Richard was running kind of this de facto boarding house for boys, teenage boys. And he lived less than a mile from where Tim's body was found. So some people think that however Tim got to Wisconsin, he kind of made friends with Richard and started living there and things didn't go well. Maybe, possibly, but that's all the facts we have here. That's it. It's frustrating. And because of that, we've just got to jump to our conclusion. And I mean, I don't. Where do you begin with this? It's such an odd tale. And there's so few facts recorded, at least in the easy to access format that I thrive on. Um, you know, I just kind of don't know what else to do except a stream of consciousness word vomit sort of approach as I work my way through all of this, you know. Uh, to begin with, the timeline isn't working for me at all. I understand why Tim would leave home and head for Atlanta. Uh, or, I'm sorry, I don't understand. We don't know why Tim would leave home. I don't understand that. And we don't know what reason he would have to head for Atlanta. But then he's in Atlanta for at least six days. Or his vehicle is. I'm overstating that. But what is he going, assuming he's there for the six days, what is he doing there? And assuming he's not, assuming he drove to Atlanta just to hit a Greyhound bus station, why? There's bus terminals all over the United States. He didn't need to go to Atlanta to hit one. So I do kind of think that he went to Atlanta and spent some time there before getting on a bus. Now, I don't know what Atlanta was like back in the mid-80s. Um, you know, today, it's a pretty cool city. It has a lot to do, but you don't want to be caught in the wrong part of it. And even the right parts of it can be dangerous. Um, in fact, last time I was there was to take my kids to a concert. And... We're waiting in line. It's in the summertime, so, you know, sun's out. People are doing their thing. It's in one of the better parts of the city. And <laughs> there was this lady who looked like your stereotypical meth head who was walking in the middle of a very busy street. You know, this was at rush hour. Um, she eventually stumbled over to the sidewalk and just cold cocked a woman who was minding her own business. The method then ran off, only to reappear with what I presume to be her boyfriend, I will kindly presume, uh, who looked, you know, totally clean-cut, well-dressed, totally unlike this woman. And 30 minutes, it took police 30 minutes to show up after this poor lady was punched. She was okay, thankfully. 
Um, but this was enough time for the meth head to leave and come back. And when the police did show up, she saw him and she ran into a parking lot. And she would hide behind a car and then pop up like a whack-a-mole until the cops started moving that way. Then she would duck down and be like six cars away in the blink of an eye popping up. And so then the cop would start moving that way and she would duck back down and then she'd be like 10 cars away. I mean, it was really weird. Uh, the cop got frustrated and left. Only for the meth lady to begin dance, you know, to come out of the parking lot, I guess, and celebrate her victory dancing in the middle of the street. Um, it was very strange. Then, you know, we have to end the tale with her trying to steal someone's bicycle while they were on it before security at this concert venue finally intervened and chased her off. Now, this was in a decent part of Atlanta. Would you want, as a teenager, to be stomping around these parts for six days? I, I, I don't. I don't get it. It's bizarre. Um, and then, you know, we have this unexplained delay from basically February of 84 to winter of 86, where we have no idea in the world what Tim is up to. I mean, all we can say is that at some point he stumbled into Wisconsin and never left. The fact, too, that Tim shut down his, well, the fact that Tim took out all but $10 from his savings account stands out to me too. Because it makes me think that he really didn't have the intention of being gone forever. He wanted to keep the account open. Now, a lot of people online and whatnot say he probably just went to an ATM and, you know, a lot of ATMs you have to do withdrawals and, and, $20, uh, $20 amounts. But, you know, back in 1984, ATMs weren't on every street corner. Uh, from what I could tell, there was only about 100,000 ATMs in the world. And there's also no mention of Tim having an ATM card. It seems like to me this was probably a transaction he handled in the bank. The only reason to leave the $10 in there, which in today's money would be, would be about 30 bucks. It's not a lot, but if you're traveling as a teenager across the country, wouldn't you want an extra 30 bucks in your pocket? Um, so to me, you know, the only reason that $10 is there is if he wants to keep it open so he can return, right? Also, we don't know how much he had in savings. That's never reported. So was it $100, $500, we, $5,000? We just can't even guess. And yet, this, this idea of mine kind of runs contrary to all the evidence suggesting that he wanted to start a new life. I mean, you look at the items that were left in his vehicle, it's all items that would have identified Tim as Tim. The car, too, would have identified Tim as Tim. I mean, that was a pretty big part of his identity. And him leaving that behind, to me, is a pretty significant move. Um, you know, 
Yeah, selling off the mechanics tools too. I mean, those things, those are expensive. And mechanics generally, that's like their prized possession because that's that's how they feed themselves, right? And, you know, in today's world, if you're going to get just a solid, well, decent set of mechanics tools, you're looking at seven to $8,000. And really for a, a sturdy set of tools, you know, for a professional mechanic, you're going to spend over 10 grand easy. And so if he's selling off his possessions, like I kind of theorized before, I think he would end up getting a significant amount of pocket change, at least for a 19-year-old. And, you know, this could provide an answer for the Atlanta question. Maybe he goes to Atlanta, dumps his ID, and secures, you know, a fake ID. Gets false documents and all that. But again, when he's found dead in Wisconsin, there's nothing on his body to identify him. So that's total speculation. And then we have to deal with the why. You know, why leave home? All reports indicate he was a popular dude. He was considered handsome by the ladies. He really never got in trouble. He had a clear life plan. He was happy going to school. So it was up. Now, there apparently was an interview conducted with his younger brother, the one he dropped off at school years later when he's not 14. You know, he's an adult. And he suggests that when he got out of the car that day, he had a gut feeling that he would never see Tim again. He claimed it was just a feeling. He couldn't point to any facts. But at least in one interview in life, he went on the record saying he thought Tim was unhappy, maybe even depressed, and he would never see him again. Now, why this information comes out so much later in life, I don't know. Why is he the only one saying this? I don't know. And... Honestly, I mean, I don't want to question anyone's integrity or whatnot, but this strikes me as the sort of thing that would be said to make the story sound even more interesting and ominous, right? On various forums, I saw lots of conflicting information, uh, just rumors that contradicted each other. You know, some claimed he was into the drug scene and got crossed with the wrong person and had to bail. Others claimed he was acting schizophrenic. I think the family would have certainly mentioned that if that were true. A few said he was unhappy at the choices he had made and the direction his life was going. But, you know, these are just random voices on the Internet, and I'm not willing to give them much weight. Now, this one's wild. In the most random and bizarre place I found Tim mentioned was an old, old website, like pre-GeoCities-style website, for somebody who had created a Dungeons & Dragons clone known as Caverns and Chameleons. The page bears a copyright date of 1980, 1983, and 1997. Tim Molnar is mentioned in the dedication as one of the, quote, suckers 
the author of this product got to help play test it. Now, there's no address associated with this web page, but the author in his little bio claimed to be born in New York and living in Pennsylvania. So I feel like this is referencing a different Tim who just happens to share the same name. But when we've got nothing else to go on, I figured I'd include it because who the heck knows? Can we also talk about how weird it is that Tim has been gone for two years and then is found dead in the exact same clothing he was wearing when he left Florida? I mean, what on earth are the odds that the only pair of clothing he would take with them would hold up that law? And, you know, part of me thinks that if he's trying to start a new identity, then once he gets to wherever he wants to go, he's going to use some of that pocket money to buy a new mini-out wardrobe and, and ditch this outfit. And, you know, yeah, he left in January, but Southern Cold is a whole lot different than, you know, Wisconsin cold. <laughs> Whatever he was wearing to keep warm in Daytona Beach is not going to do a lick of good up in Wisconsin. I mean, I've, I've experienced northern cold. I don't want to experience northern cold again. <laughs> and I also, by the same token, why does he still have his keys? There's no reason. That's a that's just an extra thing to take up space in his pocket, right? They do him no good up in Wisconsin. Now we don't know how many keys there are, of course, on his keyring, and we don't know if they're to uh, an apartment or or what have you up in Wisconsin. But he kept his house key from from his parents' house in Florida. If if he's Planning to return home, that makes sense. But at this point, we're two years down the road. Hasn't that ship sailed? I mean, he's gone over two years without contacting his family. You know, or he got stuck in a bad situation and was just struggling to find some way to get home. And, you know, this type of death suggests things weren't going swimmingly for Tim. But I, I don't know. I'm stuck on the fact that he still had his house key. That's important to me, and I, I can't really articulate why. Um, you know, regarding his death, I don't really blame the police for not doing a more thorough examination when his body was found. But, of course, I wish more attention had been paid to it at the time. You know, but, you know, if the medical examiner shows up and there's no signs of criminal activity, then why waste police resources investigating? this John Doe's death. I mean, you know, the traditional rule, as, as we've talked about before, is unless the medical examiner or coroner says it's a homicide, police can't really open up a homicide investigation. Uh, but, yeah, it would have been nice to have more information about the state Tim was found in and all sorts of that stuff. I've seen it mentioned repeatedly, so I feel comfortable passing this on that it looked like Tim had been out in the elements long enough that essentially he had been frozen over multiple times. You know, it's he had 
apparently died or what have you, snowed on them, the snow melted, froze again, melted, froze again, that sort of deal. And so it kind of almost makes this multiple layers of ice build up on his body and his clothing. Um, and, you know, they didn't do any tests to see how long, how many times this had occurred. Again, why waste the resources? So he was out there for a spell. We don't know how long, but it had, I mean, this wasn't just he died on a Monday night and was found Tuesday morning. He, he was out there long enough for him to be hit with snow, have it melt, have it freeze, and then be snowed on again. And it's, you know, it's really troubling to me that the date this kid was found is not even in the world of public information. So, you know, based on the age of this case and lack of evidence from both the parking deck in Atlanta and the location where Tim was found in Wisconsin, there's just, you know, not much hope that we're ever going to learn what happened to this young man. Um, you know, my best guess is he left home when he was 19. The rest of the world he had longed to see. And everybody knows Boss, just a rolling stone who gathers no more. Well, sorry, those are lyrics to Highway Child by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, no, seriously, I think Tim wanted to leave home and start a new life for some reason, but I have no idea why. Uh, you know, he takes all his cash and all his valuables, skips to Atlanta. I think he sells the valuables there in Atlanta at some pawn shop and searches the back alleys for someone who can get him an ID. He ditches his car with his ID and other unnecessary things, then buys a bus ticket for somewhere. Now, based on where the body's found, I would suspect he handed roughly in that direction, you know, the Midwestern United States. So, you know, you're talking, I would think you would want to head towards a bigger city. So Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, maybe Milwaukee. But we have no evidence to even fathom what his motivation for this move was. So I'm totally guessing on where he might go. It could be that he bounces around the area for a while. He probably ran into trouble finding a job. Uh, you know, that would be the primary reason to get the fake identification stuff is so you could get a job. <laughs> uh, you know, he's trained to some degree as uh, a, a mechanic but he comes bearing no mechanics tools, so it makes him more difficult to hire. There's a decent chance he falls in with some not so great folks since he's living in an area with no, you know, family or social support. He's totally on his own. And it's an area he doesn't know. If he's living in a bad area, you know, I think that's likely because the rent's going to be cheaper. He may have some roommates. Uh, you know, his closest associates that are around his age probably aren't going to be the best role models unless he was living near a college town. My way of thinking is I'm guessing he wasn't. And, you know, these bad associations probably lead to some not so great conduct. 
lots of drinking, maybe petty crime, maybe even eventually drugs. His ramblings take him into Wisconsin or throughout Wisconsin, again, looking for work or, you know, maybe he was working as a drug mule or something. Uh, again, 100% speculation, no evidence to support that. That would just be an easy job for a kid to take who really has nothing to lose and wants to make a decent bit of money. Regardless, he ends up in this tiny town in Wisconsin. It's about an hour away from Milwaukee, and his life prematurely ends. You know, since there's no evidence of physical violence, it's likely due to his own actions, ODing on drugs, getting drunk and passing out, and dying from hypothermia, something like that. And then he's just there for some amount of time before being found, which makes sense to me. Nobody is going to be using timber while the ground is frozen to a sheet of ice in Wisconsin. Uh, so if he's in a timber lot, there's not going to be much foot traffic there, and he could stay there for a while without being discovered. And, you know, after his discovery, we know the rest from there. And that, you know, my theory... I fully admit it's built on a foundation of sand right near the beach. So you can't put a lot of stock into it, but it's the best I can do. And that's Tim Molnar and his strange disappearance and death. And again, it's just probably never going to be solved, sadly. So um, that's it. Let's do the palate cleanser to wrap up this end of the show. We're going to go after Florida in this one because Florida is such an easy target. So here we go. Florida man drives stolen truck to Space Force Base to warn a battle between aliens and dragons claims at president's request. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. That was a Florida man headline. A true Florida man headline. He steals a truck drives to Space Force Base to warn the officers there about a battle between aliens and dragons and claims he was sent on this mission by the president. I think that works as a palate cleanser. It still works. Oh, most shocking thing of all, dude was sober. Wasn't drunk. When they arrested him, it was just for stealing the truck. That's the only criminal law he had broken. All right, all right, everybody settle down. This is, this is you know, big boy and big girl talk time. Um, as y'all know, my mental health hasn't been doing so great. That's why I took the last few weeks off. Uh, I was getting better and then kind of had a mental flat tire again. And so my doctors, plural, have really pushed me to step away from doing the podcast. And it's not what I want to do. And I fought it. And I've spent, you know, many nights of prayer and meditation thinking about what's best to do. And I, I, I now tend to agree with my doctors. 
Um, you know, this takes a ridiculous amount of time and energy put to, to put together, but I enjoy doing it. It's, it's kind of a labor of love, but it is one that does create stress and anxiety in my life because I want to do the best I can with every episode. And, you know, I don't have the resources available that most of these bigger podcasts have. Um, I've got wonderful support from all of y'all. Um, you know, those of you that signed up for KMH Plus have really taken a lot of the financial burden off of keeping this this ship afloat. But, um, you know, just to be frank, 2023 has been one of the worst years for my mental health uh, in recent times. And I've fought like hell to keep this podcast going. And I could keep doing it. But this, you know, in talking with my doctors, this is the activity that takes the most time and puts the most pressure on myself that I can step away from. You know, my, I don't really want to go through a messy divorce because <laughs> I love my wife, number one. And number two, I don't think I come out a winner in that situation. Uh, you know, the state requires me to take care of my kids, which I think is very unfair. But, uh, you know, so I can't step away from them. I've got to work. Again, another unfair bit of life. And so this is you know, the most time-consuming um, activity I have in my life. And I started it as a hobby to help improve my mental health. And it has, but I've gotten to the point where I just put so much pressure on myself to do a good job for y'all that it's kind of turned around and, and bit me. Um, so the idea is we're going to kind of shut down operations November 1st. So we're going to finish out the month. Um, and, you know, we're not deleting it. Everything's still going to be there. The old episodes will stay up. I'm going to keep everything active because my hope is that maybe taking a couple months off, I could come back in January and handle this better. Um, I'm stubborn like that. <laughs> Um, so if you follow us on social media in any form, please keep doing so because if I'm able to come back, I will certainly announce it on there. Um, Instagram is where I have the most followers. So, you know, if you can follow me on there, please do. Uh, I'll still try to post, you know, in, in all the places I can and, you know, Come closer to the end of the month, I may try to create some additional uh, resources where you can just follow, keep an eye or what have you. But um, Instagram will be the best if you can stomach that app. And, you know, this this is not a happy time for me. This I've, I've worked very hard for almost four years to make this podcast what it is. I'm very proud of what we've done here. Uh, I feel like we've been able to cover a lot of unusual cases, some cases that have fallen through the cracks, some that are just entertaining. 
you know, we've delved into more of the offbeat stuff from time to time, particularly on KMH Plus. And, you know, if if it was up to me, it wouldn't stop. But right now, I'm just not well enough for it to continue. You know, I don't like saying that. It feels embarrassing. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, I try to be straight with y'all. And that's what I'm doing here. So, um, I didn't want this to, you know, just be a, hey, this is our last episode, see a sucker sort of deal. <laughs> um, so now how many episodes I'll be able to put out between now and then in October, I'm not certain, but I'll do my best to get one out every week. Um, but, you know, we've had a lot, I've had a lot of fun. I hope y'all have too. I apologize that it's in this way, but it's just something that's kind of out of my control. And at the end of the day, I kind of have to listen, or I kind of should listen to what my doctor said. They they don't they want me to stop now, uh, and I'm not willing to do that. I don't think that's fair to y'all. Um, but again, even if I can only muster up one more episode, there'll be at least one more episode. Um, but my goal is to at least you know, finish out the month in a normal, normal schedule. So, you know, just uh, thank you all. Uh, uh, we'll, you know, we'll get more sappy on the last episode, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I love you all for your continuous support. There's no reason why, in my mind, y'all should be listening to some country lawyer like me. But, you know, it's it's been really cool to see such a, amazing group of people come together and, and support me. So you've, you've really been awesome, lovely people. Um, and I appreciate it all, but again, we got a few more weeks left. So, um, this isn't goodbye yet, but for now it is me saying Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.